Well, it's that time of year again. Projects are in full swing, and you know what that means. you got to make that trip up to Jacob's Supply. Whether you're a contractor or builder, or you're checking those things off the to-do list around the house, now is the time to visit Jacob's Supply. Guys, listen to some of the crazy good deals they have going on right now. PVC decking for $2.99 a linear foot in 10 different colors. Composite decking for $2.35 a linear foot in two colors. Treated decking for $0.65 a linear foot. Duralife composite rail kits available in select colors starting at $64.99. And don't forget the vinyl rail kits also available in stock. Need the fasteners? They have those too. Hidden or visible? Clips or screws. Jacob Supply is located in Temperance, Michigan, but ships many products nationally too. So whether you're in-state or out-of-state, they're just a click or call away. Check them out at www.jacobsupply.com or call them at 734-224-0978. That's 734-224-0978 or click the link in the description of this episode. Jacob Supply, your one-stop shop for products you need at prices you love. Hey guys, you got to join us at the Thank God for Bitcoin 2024 conference in Rocket Town, Nashville, July 24th and 25th. Last year was phenomenal and this year is going to be even better. G.K. Chesterton once said, I never discuss anything else except politics and religion. There is nothing else to discuss. Given how secular our current world is, this might sound strange. We can think of many things that don't initially seem political, but whether we recognize it or not, religion and politics define the playing surface and rules that govern our lives and actions. And money is one of the most powerful tools in enacting the wills of both government and God. Although we all use it, few Christians have a rich, biblically grounded, historically informed framework through which to understand what money is, and consequently the effect it necessarily has on how we think about economic issues. Well, that won't fly at this conference. We're talking stewardship, dominion, and the economics of glory with some of the biggest names around. Speakers include Michael Foster, C.R. Wiley, Dr. Ben Merkel, Dr. Glenn Sunshine, Nate Fisher, Jordan Bush, and many, many more. You won't want to miss this lineup. This is one of the most intellectually powerful theologically sound, and all-around good-time conferences you can go to this summer. So go to www.tgfb.com, that's Thank God for Bitcoin, www.tgfb.com, and get your tickets today, or click on the link in the description of this episode. See you there, guys. Christians, are you tired of just talking about starting a parallel economy and not doing anything about it? The Workspace Conference is the catalyst you've been waiting for. Join us this June 28th and 29th at the Hilton in downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Engage with leading Christian thinkers like David Bonson, C.R. Wiley, Steve Jeffrey, David Reese, and Andrew Krapyshevs. They'll share invaluable insights on how to actively integrate your faith with your professional life in ways that really matter. These leaders are not just thinkers, but doers, shaping a Christian approach to business that makes a real impact. This event is more than speeches. It's a vibrant networking hub for Christian professionals and entrepreneurs eager to create substantial change. It's an opportunity to forge meaningful connections, explore new business opportunities, and collaborate in a faith-driven environment. Don't miss the highlight of our networking opportunities, the exclusive speakers dinner. This is a premier event where you can dine with our speakers and other influential guests, deepening relationships and discussing ideas in an intimate setting. We are also actively seeking partners who are passionate about building a Christian economy. If you're interested in collaborating or sponsoring, we'd love to hear from you. And make sure you join us for Beer and Psalms for some relaxed fellowship and let's turn our faith into action together. So reserve your spot now at www.worksbase.com That's worksbase.com or click the link in the description of this episode and be part of building a dynamic Christian professional community. Let's move beyond talk, fellas, and start creating the change we want to see. Okay, so about a year ago, you interviewed me, Mm -hmm. all sorts of questions. (laughs) 
Now it's time to return the favor. Okay. I traveled all over Michigan, literally all over Michigan, to get to you and answer this one question. Right. Okay. Does pineapple go on pizza? (laughs) Well, so my wife would say yes. Uh, I would have to say no. I'm not a pineapple on pizza person. Chicken? All right, we're done. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) We've answered the big questions. (laughs) All right. That's going to be be for the trailer bit. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I'm ready to start whenever you want. Yeah, we're good. Oh, man. It's been a week. Yeah. (laughs) It really has been a week. (laughs) That's what you tell me. I know. You visited half of Michigan. Pretty much. Went to Charlevoix, then Grand Rapids, and then to Lexington, and then back here. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So... It's crazy. <laughs> wow. You've been farther north in Michigan than most Michiganders. Well, actually, I've been to... Well, I went further north, actually. It's uh, Mackinac Island. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, The only th- notable thing about Mackinac Island is it's just full of fudge. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just... There's just fudge stores every single block. Yeah. I one time walked into a store, and I was like, uh, so what makes you different than the other fudge stores? No, and they tried to, well, we're more creamy and such like that. Yeah. No. You're like, no, there's 500 fudge stores on this road. No, they, they all taste the same. That and there's no cars. Not allowed to have oh, cars yeah, that's on right. That is right. Um, um, everything's horse-driven, and you walk. Yeah. Yeah. There, it's, it's, um, it's probably the most climate change friendly place (laughs) in the United States (laughs) because on an island, you know, except when the Democrats have their legislative, uh, uh, conference there for a week. (laughs) Wait, do they? (laughs) Yeah. The Republicans do too. Oh really? I've been out there for a few of them. Yeah. Oh, I get the governors and senators and everyone from the, from around the country fly in. I'm so thankful that they're making such a difference. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, while we here do the grunt work of answering the actual kingdom, which is the kingdom of the God, aren't we? Right. Absolutely. Oh, man. So, for all of those who don't know, this is Greg from the Dead Man Walking podcast. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good. Yeah, one half of Dead Men Walking. Jason couldn't be with us. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have to fill in for him. You have to tell all the gritty details. Oh, dude, and... I can talk for both of us. <laughs> okay. Believe me. Okay. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, these guys interviewed me uh, about a year ago, was it? Yeah, very popular episode for us, too. Really? People uh, like the Reform Funny Moment guy. Okay. That's what they call you. They don't even know your name. In uh, Uzbekistan, like, is that right? Yeah, yeah. You're very popular in Uzbekistan, is that uh, right? Ukraine right now. Oh, yeah, Ukraine. we get... Uh, uh, let's see. This week, for some reason, we did really well in Fiji. So we get weird stuff where it'll peak, but for you, it was a lot of messages from us like, who's this reformed funny moments guy? <laughs> and then we just sent him the YouTube links and they, I'm like, we did say his name at the beginning of the episode. You can call him Josh. Nope. You're just the reformed funny moments well, guy. Uh, yeah. I'm more than that. Darn it. Well, well because, because <laughs> most people don't know how to say Kuiper belt. Right. <laughs> like yeah. Bible thumping we like guy, which by the way, I, I, I love you, but <laughs> you keep botching my last name. <laughs> you keep saying Cooper belt. Protect- no, it's, it's, I do like that. You were like, I'm going to start a production company and I'm going to name it the most difficult name to pronounce ever. Well, Even if it is my last name. My ancestors are proud of it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you actually, do you know what that actually means? It what, ac- what does it mean? It, it actually is a maker of wine barrels. Really? Yeah. So a Kuiper makes barrels for like, you know, beer, 
water, whatever. Do you think and the they, belt had something to do with the, the steel band so, or belt that goes around the... So the belt part is an actual oscillation belt in our solar system. Okay. Uh, it's named after an astronaut named Kuiper. Um, okay. I need to know more details because eventually I'm going to do a video on that because um, that's what it's came named off of. I because well okay so I guess we're we're so, talking we're discussing the etymology how, of like, last names. Let's do it. So, so the name came from. Uh, so originally it was called the DJ Shooterman Four Five Six Studios. <laughs> That's what originally was called. Yeah. Once again, very memorable. A lot yeah. of numbers and that was a. You can take a look at the old videos. That was a long-standing credo for like okay. a long time. Yeah. And um, eventually, um, I decided, you know what? No one's going to remember this. We we need to change it. So yeah. eventually, it's we changed it to Locomotive Productions, uh, okay. which is even more tasteless and bland. <laughs> <laughs> no one's like, how can I one up myself? Yeah, what's the significance of locomotive productions? Um, but that lasted for like a year or two, I think. Okay. But then finally, I was like, um, I need to change it to something else. And so I always made a joke to some people that I'm famous because they name a um, celestial belt after me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I and they uh, just go with it. They're well, like, yeah, I decided thing. to do a poll. This was for my Matt versus Hicks cast. Okay. Um, like, should I keep it to Locomotive Productions or change it to Kuiper Belt Productions? And I was concerned about doing it to Kuiper Belt Productions because I people would think I would be selfish. You right. Know, like it's named after me. Oh but, no, you got to brand yourself. But well, the thing is, no one knows Kuiper Belt exists. <laughs> so <laughs> you're good. So um, it does. It's not quite at that Kardashian name yeah, recognition. Yeah. So you're good. So yeah. By I think it was by one vote, um, and we changed the Kuiper Belt, and it's been like that since. <laughs> I like it though. Yeah, it's got a little family heritage to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we have a long, proud Dutch history. There you go. A long, proud Dutch history. So ours was I. I'm Irish, and it was just oh, we, we they were born on a moor, so let's just name them Moors. You know, that's we're not <laughs> so very, that's why they Moore, not very Moore creative County. in Ireland. You know, that's why my last name's Moore. Uh, so that's why you moved to, to no, this um, is Monroe. Oh, oh we're in Monroe. Yeah. After James Monroe, <laughs> the president, but close. Yeah. But I use more in all my stuff, you know, expect more, call more for real estate. It has a nice ring to it. M O R E M O O R E. Yeah. Right? And it seems like a lot of good names and bad <laughs> names with more. Yeah. Like, uh, I think I saw more law and firm, I think. Right. I see, yeah. And there's Russell Moore. Sure. Um, name not so good. Um, <laughs> But, and then we named this podcast Dead Men Walking Podcast, and everyone messages me and goes, "This is a zombie podcast." <laughs> All right, is this like? <laughs> no, no, we're not the Walking Dead. Which, speaking of which, like, <laughs> what is this podcast about? Like, yeah, yeah, what is it about? So uh, the tagline really is talking about theology, culture, and politics through a reformed and biblical worldview. Okay. So we talk about all kinds of stuff, but you got to know right up front: our worldview is biblical and it's reformed. Uh, which sometimes that will turn people off. Sometimes it tunes people in. Um, but we usually try to get theologians, pastors, scholars, uh, anyone who's done any work like that, and come on and talk about a subject, whether it's doctrinal, uh, theological. Um, sometimes it even has to do with the educational system. I'm a county commissioner as well, so we ha I have a lot of political connections. So we've had governor candidates on and sitting senators and congressmen and things like that as well. 
And we usually try to grab those that have a biblical worldview, and we'll discuss those type of things. Dead Man Walking came to me just because I love the juxtaposition of Ephesians 2. Like, you are dead in your trespasses, dead in your sin, nothing you can do, four or five verses later, but you've been raised to priestly and high places with Christ himself. And just that, I mean, that's what my whole walk with the Lord is, is that gratefulness of being taken out of my depravity and my sin and showing me graciousness and, and walking in a in a place of gratefulness. So it's a maybe a little confusing. It's, uh, you know, the logo has a has a skull, but also with a crown on. And there's like, go, what, why is there a king with a crown or, a, you know, skull with a crown? And it, it's actually a really good conversation starter. So that's where yeah, the yeah, name yeah. came in from. In fact, uh, Ephesians 2 uh one through ten is actually one of my favorite passages. There I call you go. I call it the Christian testimony. Absolutely, because that's, that's really it's from beginning to end how God saves you and is still working in you. Absolutely, uh, from beginning to end. So yeah, so that's where that came from. But I do still get them from time to time. And then there is a awesome uh, shout out to Dead Men Ministries. Um, and I think I created my Instagram about three days before he did. So we always joke back and forth privately. So we're pretty close, but he, he does a lot of reform stuff. And I said, we were kind of thinking in the same wavelength or something right around the same time two years ago. And he says, it's all good. We're, we're different, but uh, right, really he's close. He's not going to sue you. <laughs> what is he going to take? I have nothing. It's all in an LLC. It's limited liability, buddy. So like, <laughs> I got a dollar in the bank account. You can have that. Okay. Thank you. Just Thank a little business school for you. Everyone get an LLC. They can't take your personal items. It's a limited liability. There you go. So that's a sponsor for <laughs> Dead Man Ministries. Um, no, he's good, though. I like him. Uh, what's? Um, I'm actually kind of curious, though. Um, everyone seems to be starting podcasts these days. Oh, my gosh, right? So like, what makes you stand out? Like, Why did you decide to um, do this? Did you just want to be like... like be another voice in the reform world or just want to be something different? Mm, well, that's a really good question because you see the saturated market of podcasts. Mm -hmm. And I was an early adopter, probably 2008. I started listening to podcasts when they were only on Apple and it was when they were trying to launch their iTunes University. You remember that way back in the day where you could just go on and watch like an eight part series from an Oxford professor about C.S. Lewis. Is it and the it's same like, as like Apple Plus? It's or? kind of, well, now they charge for it, but back then it was free, iTunes University. Oh, okay. And it was like, why would anyone go to college? I can go to college <laughs> right here, right? And they quickly realized they were getting complaints from some of the universities like, take that down. People are not going to our school and just watching these free, right? <laughs> lessons. So I was an early adopter podcast, love listening to podcasts for a long, long time. And always, uh, I, I love talking, I love debating, I love getting into, I call them friendly arguments. I think that's where people can learn when we might have two different opposing views, but we, you know, use graciousness and love to like come to some type of uh, either agreement or agree to disagree type thing. And uh, in 2020, uh, I was classified here in Michigan as non-essential as a real estate broker. Mm. Go figure. I don't know why our governor thought living in a home wasn't essential, but all right. Uh, and my wife went, hey, what do you think? Maybe now's the time for the podcast. I did not do anything for the next six weeks, really. Um, and I said, yeah, it was good. Good. You know, let's do it. So bought some basic equipment, uh, called up my buddy who lived five houses down from me, who I just reconnected with, Jason Hamlin. Uh, after We had went to high school together, but hadn't seen each other and just happened to be going to the same church for about a year and a half. He came in for the first episode, and then I called him up afterwards. And I said, why don't you just kind of do this, like, you know, with me? And he's like, dude, I don't. I, I sit behind a guitar and I'll play, but I'm not a front man. I don't talk. I say, we'll figure it out. And we balance each other quite nicely. 
because um, I always have something to say, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, he's, you know, he, 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 when he talks, people listen because he's very measured in when he says something. Uh, and it works out well. And we've been doing it now two years, April. Well, just this last April was two years, so just a little over two. And uh, I guess it seemed, based on what I'm hearing, it, there's, gro- there's much growth going on. I guess. Yeah, we got a really good response. That's a funny story because I have to give a shout out to the Cross Politics guys because a couple of them reached out to us and said, hey, we saw you started a podcast. We said, well, why don't you come on? So they came on in like the eighth or ninth episode. That gave us a bump right there because Cross Politics have been doing it for quite a while. They have a great following out there. And then he said, hey, we're doing a f- our very first Fight, Laugh, Feast in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, and this was in 2020. And we said, yeah, let's go down to it. Can we bring our podcast gear? And they said, uh, yeah, I guess. No one's asked, but sure. So we went down there and we had the, the roadcaster board and the mic set up and we had a big 10 foot by 20 foot backdrop, right? And they put us right by the entrance exit where 1,500 people are coming in and out. And it was so funny because we're the only ones there. Everyone thought it was our event. They oh, go, oh, oh my God. They go, oh, so this is a great event, guys. Oh, no, no, no. That's the cross politic, guys. But it was like Doug Wilson would walk by and sit down. Gary DeMar would walk by and sit down. Jeff Durbin came over and sat down. Knock, you know, Chocolate Knox from the. And wow. it was just like Gabe sat. So we got all these great interviews all within this three day period. Got to talk to 1,500 uh, reformed folk, uh, you know, male, female, kids, everything. Live streamed a couple episodes. And from there, it really kind of took off and was like, oh, these guys. A lot of people went, you guys been in the community for a long time. We go, no, we're six months old at this point. <laughs> wow. We just happened into. So big shout out to the Cross Politics guys. They're very generous to us. Just kind of let us come in and do our thing. Yeah, I love you guys, Cross Politics. Yeah, yeah very cool. And from there, it was just a lot of posting on social media, a lot of interaction, um, and hopefully bringing good content. That's really, every time I get on this microphone, I think, how would I or people I know listen to a podcast? And if I'm not bringing valuable quality content consistently, it's like, I won't listen, hmm. you know, or, or I'll 2X you. If you're, you know, umming and hawing and you can't think of what you're going to say, it's like, I'm busy. I want it. I want that potent, good quality. You know, we're reform guys. Like we don't mess around, right? We want good Good, solid, biblical talk. So um, that's kind of how I think uh, when we're doing a podcast. And maybe it turns some people off, but I think for the most part, people appreciate that. Mm. Yeah. Which, speaking of which, like, uh, do you, do you, how long does it take you guys to make an episode? Do you just do like, so like there's um, Just Thinking podcasts, which they take like probably a month or two just to like prepare even a single episode. And some guys, they just wing it. Yeah. Are you like either or, or are you guys like in the middle? We're probably a little in the middle. So the shorts that we do that come out every Saturday, they're five minutes or less. And that's easy to talk about a verse, a psalm. Uh, and a doctrinal idea or theological idea, and then just get that in five minutes to where we don't really explore it a whole lot. We're not going for an hour on one thing. Uh, those you can probably sit down and we'll do five or six or seven of those in a night. Maybe Mm -hmm. beforehand we have a half hour, 45 minutes of prep and kind of, okay, we're going to do this scriptural reference and you open with this. And this is kind of where I was going with this subject for the episodes. It's usually a month before. So we'll go like last month. I said, man, I've just really been getting back to Isaiah six, like what's going on, Jason. And he's like, let's do an episode on it. So that was like kind of 30 days out. Maybe I threw out my day. I might jot something down for a note. He'll do the same. And then we'll get together on text and say, Hey, this is what we're thinking for, you know, coming up. And then we have a guest on that makes it a little easier because we just get to ask the questions and then listen to much smarter people. But this time I'm asking you, <laughs> right? <laughs> the tables right. have turned. But so when you have like a Rachel Jankovic on, or we had Burke Parsons on just a few weeks ago from Ligonier, it's like, I can just sit here and go, so why do we have creeds? 
what is your favorite one? Why, how do we use them? And then, you know, not a whole lot of prep on my end because it's a little more question and answer style. And when you get a guest like a Burke Parsons or a Doug Wilson or a, a Jeff Durbin who can just, they can just go yeah, because, just go you know what I mean? You, you've, you've met those guys and interviewed them. They're just like, man, you look at him and go, good Lord, that's just years and years of study and understanding the word. And that makes it a lot easier when you have a guest on the other end. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Covenant Real Estate. And why not? It's my podcast and my real estate company. But seriously, I've absolutely enjoyed helping clients buy, sell, and invest in real estate over the last 12 years. My brokerage serves clients in Michigan and Ohio, with more states coming soon. When I started this brokerage, I wanted to ensure that my expertise and knowledge would serve every one of my clients. I take my fiduciary responsibility to my clients very seriously. That's why I named it Covenant Real Estate. Not only is a covenant a contract in the legal sense, but it's also a solemn promise from myself to each of my clients. I will do my absolute best to serve you. It's also pretty cool that our name has some theological implications as well, which is a great conversation starter. And here's the best part. My agents and I have extensive experience in helping people buy and sell residential homes, buy and sell commercial properties, as well as investing in real estate and selling and purchasing recreational and vacant land. Covenant Real Estate can help you with all of your real estate needs, and I would love the opportunity to earn your business. So if you have real estate needs in Michigan or Ohio, call me at 734-731-GREG. That's 734-731-GREG. Or click on the link in the description of this podcast episode you're listening to right now. Remember, Covenant Real Estate. Confidence from contract to close. Yeah. So like, um, uh, so I guess you mentioned earlier, like speaking of making podcasts, uh, podcast world, I think for most people, they have like a part-time or full-time job, right? Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier that you had like a, you were part of a realtor. Mm -hmm. Uh, so how did you, uh, manage to like balance that between the two? Oh, that's a good question. No one's really asked me that before, but uh, it was nice with Jason and I because we were both kind of running our own business. Okay. And I worked as an account manager for AT&T for geez, 10 years. And it was like, when you're in that world, it's you're on call. Now you kind of are with real estate, but when you own your own business, you can really rearrange some stuff. I just literally two hours pulled my camper back in and got back from a five day Memorial Day weekend camping trip. Sorry if I'm dating this episode, if it's coming out in the future. Uh, but it's easy when you can kind of rearrange your own schedule when you own your own business. And I've been so blessed to do that. And I tell people, unless the Lord says you're going to work that job, I don't think I'll ever stop working for myself. There's a freedom there that allows me to get up, homeschool with the kids, you know, go over catechism, do a Bible study, uh, allows me to go camping, hang out with friends, sit down with people like you when you're in town. There's a lot of flexibility. A lot there. of flexibility. Now, you also wake up every morning and you go, let's not be homeless next month. Uh, but I kind of <laughs> yeah. like that pressure, yeah. Yeah. right? That's the type of my, my personality goes, yeah, let's go hustle and figure out a way to provide for my family. Some people, they're not cut out for it, but it does allow for, for a lot of that. So it wasn't too hard. And then during COVID, it was like nothing was going on and it was awesome. Jason and I, when we started this thing, we were like, yeah, let's record two or three. We're going two and a half hours. We're blowing through content. We're like, oh, okay, crap. we better we better <laughs> shorten this up. So now the episodes are more like 30, 40 minutes, and they're just right. Just enough to get a little content in there, something that's quality, and on your way to work or something, and then shut it off and 
you know, Saturday we'll have a little five minute for you. So I guess, um, well, I'm kind of wondering though, cause you got, you like, you pre-record like the podcast beforehand, but you also cover the news, right? So how do you like keep it current or up to date? So we, if we can get in a guest two to three days out of the long of the drop date, then we'll do news. Okay. Because that is in our mind. It's like, there's so much going on. Yeah. We did an episode once and we pushed it out three weeks and the news was just like, yeah, that's over with. Like no one's talking about that anymore because it's so topical. So we'll do newsy news. If we got a guest that say records on a Sunday night and it's dropping on Wednesday, we'll do that because two, three days out, it's still kind of relevant. Um, but it goes stale really quick when you do that. And I don't think we've done newsy news now for the last four or five episodes just because of that. Cause with Jason's schedule, trying to get it all worked out. So it's like, you got to do it quick. Cause you're right. It's like, what? No one's talking about whatever anymore. It's been three weeks. And it just goes to show you how like how the news quick. is drive by too. Like everyone gets all crazy about something. And then three days later, no one's talking about it. So I guess maybe this question might be irrelevant then. Like, how do you like, you know, watch or listen to the news without getting depressed when you're doing the podcast? Well, that's, that's a great question too. Uh, so the Lord actually convicted me about this. So I was all about news and politics and like, that's all I was doing like two, three years ago, um, obsessively, like really getting into it, talking to people online about it, meeting with people and in the back of my mind going, Oh, but I'm doing it for the glory of God. I mean, like I'm a Christian, so I have a certain worldview and I'm helping to educate and all this. And then the Lord just went, Oh no, that that's an idol in your life is the news and the politics and under knowing what's going on in Lansing and Washington. And I've got some friends in DC and they'll send me some stuff. And he was like, yeah, how, how much time are you spending on news sites and in politics versus in the word with me? In the word of God. Yeah. And it was like, Whoa. So I thought I had the right intentions, but I was just making it an idol in my life. And it was really, it, it was crazy because I'd read my Bible for 20 minutes and then the rest of the day I'm in the news and politics and I'm depressed all the time. And I'm going, what, what's going on? You know? And the Lord's like, yeah, you're not, you're not abiding in me. You're abiding in the things of this world. So I switched it and went, oh yeah, got to put Christ first in everything that I do. And so I'll dabble and I'll look and keep, keep up to date, but by no means am I spending hours a day. Uh, when we do newsy news on here, it's usually headline stuff. Or if I find something where it's a little unique or, you know, we broke a story that some uh, gentleman uh, had put on TikTok, And at the time he only had, I don't know, maybe 500 views. And it was about the transgender closets to where in California, they wanted the kids to wear what you're your parents feel comfortable with you wearing, but when you come here, you can go in the closet, put on whatever you want. We'll let you wear it all day long, then go back in, get your clothes back on, go back to your parents. And I just went, this is being proposed in a, in LA County and no one's covering it. And uh, we covered it there and helped his video. And I, I think his video was going to do well without us. But um, that was like, that wasn't on the front page news. That was, and then literally three weeks later, then you have Fox News covering it. So that was wow. one of those things where you're just poking around, you're looking at different things, you get stuff sent to you and you go, yeah, we need to cover that and talk about, you know, parental rights or what's the biblical worldview on this. And it's not something I dwell on. Schooling your kids, right? Like Get them out of government schools, you know. Uh, and well, we, we kind of talked about that too. I mean, part. I mean, not to like you know straw man it, but you know, God can still work in with people and Christians in public schools. I mean, I actually went through a public school, um, but you yeah. know, I'm not going to say it was perfect by any means. But right. I was just thankful I had godly parents that were able to continue to teach me in the ways of the Lord when I got home. Sure, but but. Uh, <laughs> Looking back at it now, um, I would 
I would definitely want to be home to homeschool my kids, yeah. like Lord willing, um, because, you know, it's getting crazy. It's getting crazy. Oh, it's what, nuts. What, I, I, I can't even understand how parents do it. Uh, with with everything with, with with school shooting scares and bomb scares and the transgender stuff and the uh, in the in the social pressures of if you believe a certain way I was homeschooled up until tenth grade mm. and then went to public school my junior and senior year and it was like night and day even then and we're talking twenty years ago now when I was in high, high school so it was like I got there and I was like I cannot believe the way that these kids talk to their teachers I mean I was in pretty conservative strict Christian home. I didn't, I wasn't even allowed to call cops, cops, right? You call them police officers. My dad said, he's like, you don't, they can call each other cops. You respect them as authorities that have been put in place by God. And you go, whoa. And then you get there and they're cussing out their teachers and they're smoking in the bathroom. And I go, what is going on here? And it was really, uh, that's a longer part of my testimony, but it was like a culture shock. You just go, whoa, it was night and day. And I can't even imagine now with, uh, with kids, but that's what I tell people. Hey, if you can do it, homeschool. Um, and when I say if that includes, you don't need the nicest car, you don't need the biggest boat, you don't need the nice camper. Guess what? Moms or dad, whoever's going to stay home, you go down to one income. We're just accustomed to two incomes ever since world war II, women went into the workplace. We have abandoned the family and that's mm-hmm. includes a lot of Christians, many Christians. So when you have like the Doug Wilson's of the world preaching to get out of government schools and homeschool, I'm right there with him. We're homeschooling our children. He even mentioned, he even mentioned that like, um, like, I mean, he was preaching and teaching the same things like 20 or whenever he started his ministry. It wasn't until like as of late where his materials just more or less exploded, Yeah, you know, because now people are actually seeing that his I guess prophetic criticism was actually sure. really valid and there and right. So, yeah, there's always guys that are before their time on yes. stuff. And right? I think I think Doug Wilson is really underrated. Um, oh yeah, sure. I think he's finally getting his due of. Uh, he gets of a lot of slack. Yeah, of what he's been talking about for the last uh, twenty years. I also think he's underrated in the literary sense. He's probably the C.S. Lewis of our time. Hmm. When you actually look at his nonfiction, uh, some of the stuff he writes, his poems, his blogs, you go, "Oh yeah, I, I kind of get that." And that's a big influence of his, you know, uh, Chesterton and and C.S. Lewis. Um, but uh, there's always guys that or look at Vadi. Right for so many years, Bakum that has been talking about cultural Marxism for fifteen plus years, and then all of a sudden now his book's number one, and they go, "Where's he been all this time?" It's like you just haven't been listening. He's been stone cold on point with this subject for fifteen years, yelling at the rooftops like, "You better watch out!" And now that now that it's here, now you want to listen to him and, and react instead of be proactive in those things. Which would be an interesting question. Maybe I could ask later um, is to whether or not uh, I guess. Has, is wokeism dying, or is it just another religion that's going to be growing? But maybe that's a whole subject mm, for another for another. That's a time. really good question. Because uh, on one hand, I'm seeing, on one hand, it's evil. It's so evil. Like sure. People are captivated, and they don't seem to, like, leave. But on the other yeah. hand, it's like there are a lot of people that are reacting to it, even non-Christians, especially when you see in, like, school board meetings and sure. stuff like that. So it's like, is it winning? Or is it dying? I'm not exactly sure. Who knows? So I think really quick, from a biblical worldview, I think what's happening is that um, you, you can say it's, it's Satan or it's uh, the principalities of this era. They're overstepping their bounds. The greatest thing, uh, the, game, the greatest game plan that uh, Satan has ever had is to 
is to turn us over to our own freedoms and, and depravity, mm-hmm. right? Like you guys, you got guys like Joe Rogan and kind of like the comic uh, scene, like rallying against wokeism because it's affecting their free speech to talk about things that are ungodly, unrighteous and revel in their depravity. And you go, okay, is that an ally? Because they want to have free speech to continue sinning. And we don't want wokeism to then turn into fascism and, and stop our free speech. And it's like, well, no, their, their worldview is still wrong, but they, they want to be free to sin. That's, I mean, uh, Potter's freedom with James White uh, years ago pointed this out in his book. Like we want to sin. That's what we naturally want to do. And now you've gone so far into authoritarianism and fascism with the wokeism that even the, the depraved sinners are going, Hey, you can't tell me what not to talk about and what not to do and what not to make fun of. I want to do that stuff because I want to continue to sin. So I think you're going to see a pushback even with the secular group because they want to continue to do that. I would say Christians need to step up and and not only push back on kind of the leftist progressive wokeism, but also uh, hold up a biblical standard. Yeah, like you what? Know? Yeah, I mean, even conservatives that that we would you know say are allies with wokeism, um, mo- most of them don't have like a understand that that their worldview comes from biblical standards. Yes. They come from Genesis, life, uh, f- um, family, private property, sanctity of law, order. Sure. Those f- are found in Genesis. So ultimately, uh, they pretty much have no standard or must at least recognize the standard that actually comes from here of what they're holding. Absolutely. Yeah, you got these libertarians that are like, hey, man, the the you know the non-interference clause and non-aggression pact, and it's like, yeah, dude, the Ten Commandments, four of the Ten Commandments are about personal rights and personal property rights. That's the original libertarian right there, okay? That's God's Ten <laughs> Commandments. Is That's dealing with that. No, you're not allowed to go take a, a, a you know, covet a neighbor's wife. You're not allowed to steal. You're not allowed to murder and hurt someone. Like, yeah, that's everything you view, and you think you have this, like, crazy postmodern, like, oh, enlightenment. No, that's the Mosaic Law. That's what the whole foundation of this country is based upon. I don't care if you're an atheist, agnostic, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Christian, whatever. If you live in this country, you're benefiting from Mosaic Law, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. People misquote that all the time. All God was saying when he, when he made that law was, hey, equal punishment under the law. If, if, you steal a, if you steal a man's house, then you get the equal punishment of how that how taking his house or taking his cow or his food, how that affects him. You don't get to chop off a person's arm if he takes a piece of bread off of your table. Right. Right? And then we go, oh, that's what our whole justice system is built on, equal punishment under the law. We don't take someone who speeds 10 miles over and throw him in jail for a year. We give them a $150 fine or whatever it is. And it's like people don't even realize, even Christians don't even realize that that's ingrained, right? That we need to presuppose the the whole biblical worldview into the secular worldview. But instead, we make Christ, or we don't make him, Christ does exactly what he wants. But I was going to call out for heresy yeah, we, right there. We, exactly. <laughs> we want Christ to bow to the culture instead of the culture to bow to Christ. Man, that was a deep discussion. <laughs> Talked about all sorts of things, but I'm kind of kind of curious though. In, in regards, we talk all sorts of things in regards to like you know having a foundation, a biblical worldview. And you said you grew up in a Christian home. Yeah. Can you tell a little bit on like your Christmas Christian testimony, like how you came to know Christ? Oh sure, yeah. I'll give um, the really 
try try to shrink it down for you because it's it's pretty crazy. But so I always tell people first and foremost, I said the sinner's prayer at seven and I got saved at twenty four. Mm. So a lot of reform folk go, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, did did the Jesus will you come into my heart when I was seven years old off of a Christian tape? And I uh, had a head knowledge of who God was. And probably for the first eight or nine, or about 10, 10 or 11 years of my life, went to a really, it was a non-denominational church, but it really mimicked like a fundamental Baptist church, very legalistic. We were in a homeschool group that was doing Bill Gothard, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, very conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sat down, I, I played piano when I was a child. I was sat down when I played a song by Keith Green, who's most famous for his Easter song, and said, and it's very basically piano music. And they said, Oh no, that's, that's com- contemporary Christian music. That's from Satan. It's got a You're drum gonna go beat. to hell. Going to go to hell, that kind of stuff. Right. And then, uh, my, my mom and, uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was around 14. And then we started going to, uh, my mom and my brother and my sister started going to a church here that was very into the Pentecostal kind of charismatic, like Toronto blessing uh, they were early adopters of Bethel back in the day. Like they had their, you know, Chris, I don't know, what's his name? Val, Val, Hooten, Val, I don't know how you say his name, but he's like the second in command out there. He'd come there and prophesy. So then, so then went way the other way with like, like the speaking in tongues and the barking like a dog and all that. So I had kind of this, the first 15, 16 years of my life had this, like these two extreme views, right? But both churches growing up was like, oh yeah, that Martin Luther, he was he was he had some good stuff to say, but stay away from that John Calvin, that that guy, uh, you know Jonathan Edwards. Yeah, he pre- preached a really famous sermon, but don't really look into him. He, he you know, he might, some would even say not even a true Christian. And then from sixteen to, gosh, to twenty four, just ran from the Lord basically. And I've said it on the podcast before. Basically, it was putting anything inside my body. Looking back, didn't even care if I lived or died. Mm. Um, Drugs, drinking, joined a band, toured with that. Just not going to get into the debauchery of uh, my depravity, but Lord took all that from me. Took my band, took my car, took my girlfriend, which who's now my wife, which that's a testimony in and of itself. Took my uh, money. I didn't have a place to live, and I just remember I was living in a loft up in Detroit, crying out to the Lord and going, "I think I still have Christ, though. Do I have Christ?" Right? And I think at that moment, when uh, my heart was changed, is when. Uh, I was actually saved in his graciousness. He, he very well should have let me die uh, in my sin because I, I didn't have anything good in me. Mm. And, but through his graciousness was saved at 24 and then started a journey of reading the Bible and going, what does the Bible actually say? Because even when I was young, I would ask my like youth pastor questions like, why do people go to hell? And he say, well, it's because it's a sin. Why? You know, well, if, it, if it's a, because of unbelief, well, is it unbelief a sin? Yes. Well, didn't Jesus die for all sins? Yes. Well, then why isn't everyone in heaven? And like from a young age, I was talking about like limited atonement, but didn't understand, right? So I start reading through the Bible and I'd say from the time I was 25 until probably 32, I was a closeted Calvinist, right? Like didn't want to come out of that closet, but kept reading the Bible and going, but this is like what the Bible says. And then I'd listen to R.C. Sproul and then read the Bible and then listen to some James White and read the Bible. And then, and you go, what's going on here? Am I reformed in my theology? Am I, you know what I mean? Am, am I one of these Calvinists? And then I went, no, I just believe what the Bible says, you know? Uh, so then 
you know, from there it was just anything I could consume and get my hands on, especially within the reformed community. And it was really funny when I started going, wait a minute, my favorite preacher was reformed Charles Spurgeon. Wait a minute. The, the, the commentary I'm reading is, you know, Henry, Matthew Henry's from a reformed guy. Wait a minute. The guy who wrote Pilgrim's progress that I read as a kid is reformed. And you just go, Whoa, this is like the historical, uh, Christian, uh, you know, Orthodox, Orthodox. It was just, it's just so vibrant and so all around us, but we're in this like little hundred year bubble of Pentecostalism, like the whole United States is not whole United, but so many Christians in the United States is in this 120 year old Azusa street, Pentecostalism, you know, pre-mill rapture hatch, like, you know, you know, left behind. And it's like, that's only been around for a century. Like the 2,000, 3,000 year old church history tells a very different story. The early church fathers did not believe the majority of what most non-denominational Christians believe today. So that was a big journey for me too. Well, if 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 a bunch of not evangelical Christians don't believe anything, can you really say <laughs> right. that they didn't believe anything when they don't have anything to believe in? You know? No, that's true. But I, I think, you know, we had Tom Askell on the podcast last year and he was t- talking about, it. he goes, we're, we're 50, 60, 70 years removed from any biblical preaching yeah. in most churches. You no, know, actually interesting thing you said that I actually just visited a church yesterday. Uh, I think it's Grace Life Baptist Church over in Lexington. Okay. And I actually got, um, I was actually got in a conversation with the pastor, and he told me pretty much a condensed twenty-year history of the, the church that it moved from. It moved, it moved <laughs> yeah. from originally fundamentalist, King James only, um, like uh, dispensational church, like sure. hardcore, like hardcore, to where there was a serious repentance from the main pastor and the eld- and some of the elders, and they slowly shifted into real Baptist roots. Wow, it's crazy. And yeah, and so they they've been teaching like reform stuff I think with over the past decade. But that goes to show one the the beautiful sovereignty of God in working in faithful ministers through repentance, sure. you know. Like no one's too far gone. Uh if if you especially go down like th- those roads and such. So. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean I my personal testimony is that like I was pretty far gone. That's why I wake up every day just grateful. Mm. Um, I, I just don't, I don't understand even the theology that some people ascribe to, like where God owes them something. Like, where's my house? Well, that's where's my Arminianism. car? Where's my success? Like, <laughs> right. I'm just thankful they're not consistent. And it's know? like the Lord graciously saved me when I was his enemy. Like, yeah. I, he owes me nothing. He's given me, he, it was just for him to send me to hell. Mm. And uh, in his mercy and graciousness, uh, chose to save me, and that's that's why I preach the gospel. That's why we do this podcast. So, like, if can you like maybe clarify a little bit as to like like what period? Um, you said you got saved around twenty five years, twenty four. Mm-hmm. So, like, what like was there like a particular moment, or is it just like a gradual like? I think it was that moment where I was laying on a, a on a mattress on the floor in a loft in Detroit, hmm. and, and I just said, "I submit." Hmm. Uh, now I believe theologically and doctrinally that the Lord gave me that faith to submit, right? I don't, I, I think he saved me hmm. before the foundations of the world when I was still his enemy, but I think it was that moment. Now I didn't wake up the next morning and go, Oh, 
I'm saved. I'm holy and righteous, right? It wasn't that. There was a three-year period to where like, I had to cut out all friends, uh, all family members that didn't have anything to do with God, moved back home. Um, there was a whole nother testimony with, uh, I'd been dating a girl for six years. She was like, I don't want anything more to do with you. I was heartbroken there. She's now my wife of 16 years. She got re- like saved through that process, that two to three wow. year process. So there was like a very like separation, like desert, like, you know what I mean? I was just worshiping the Lord, reading my Bible, like, and, but it was all I wanted to do. It was like, Oh, Christ is, is all I need. I don't need all these other things that I've been trying to fulfill my life with, you know, bands and women and, you know, uh, drugs and whatever it is. So I think at that moment, absolutely. Um, I, I was saved, uh, but you know, sanctification is a lifelong it seems, process. It seems like you're very well knowledge. Have you been going to seminary, or have you <laughs> no. just taken some? No, I, lo- I love I love books. My wife and I both have a book obsession. We've got a, a 400 square foot uh, master bedroom upstairs, and it's mostly books. You can you know? tell you're a theologian <laughs> by the number of books, but also you have to remember uh, not to make that an idol. Uh, no, absolutely. Because I'll admit, have you been to a Ligonier conference before? Yeah. It's the most tempting thing is the bookstore, you know, because yeah. just like, oh man, I want, I just want to buy as many books as I can. But how many have you actually read? You know, I try to get through as many as I can. I probably here's the thing is I I know I say I know the Holy Spirit convicts me when I'm spending too much time on nonsense, mm-hmm. right? Like, and sometimes books can be nonsense too. There's like some nonfiction stuff I'll read and go, well, this isn't any better than watching, binging on Netflix right now. If I'm not edifying Christ in even my reading, then what the heck? But, um, oh yeah, I've always got 10 or 12 on the nightstand that's in rotation. And then sometimes you just want them because they look so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You just got it, right? But it was, I was just up with in Detroit, um, what was it? The theological Baptist Institute up there with Joel Beakey and he had all his books. And I was like, he's like, I'll give you 50% off here. 70. I was like, Oh, so we got his systematic, why are you Beakey systematic us, theology up there. Yeah. Why did, why tempt me? But even at G3 Get behind me, Satan at the G3 conference, it was like, Oh, you like, know, are we, we, we at the national conference. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I, I'm, I'm trying to go there. Uh, this, this, uh, the national next, conference next time around. Yeah. Do it. Dude. If I see you there, bro, we're, we're doing our, <laughs> we're doing our episode. Let's do it. Let's do another yeah. episode. No, but um, so I told my wife, I said, why, why didn't we like collect feathers or something? It'd be a lot lighter. Every time we move, we've got, you know, two handfuls tr- of books. <laughs> why do we both love books? It's like the heaviest, most bulkiest. But, but uh, I'm glad I married someone who also enjoys uh, reading. And who, who knows if they're going to be on the shelf that much longer. Mm. We could be five to eight. I don't want to sound conspiracy here. But we already see the canceling of certain books. We could be five, maybe eight years away from certain books that have a certain worldview uh, in Christianity. Yeah, those can't be printed, and they're not on the shelf anymore. We could, we could be there. Um, now, I'm going to keep reading them and keep preaching Christ crucified and risen, mm-hmm. no matter what. We just got to do the old-fashioned route with pamphlets, you know. Just uh, yeah, back in the day, yeah, back you... in the day, cassette tapes. They can't, they can't uh, cancel that. They're physical copies. You know what a cassette tape is, right? Yeah, right. I do. Yeah, <laughs> I was old enough for that. You, probably I was, don't. I was, I was old enough. Uh, okay. I remember my mom. I'm sorry, mom, but I remember my <laughs> mom would play these Michael Jackson cassette tapes while she'd take us to to elementary school and just plug it into our loan, you know, yeah, Plymouth uh, minivan, you know, yeah, for sure. But you, well, that's what they're doing in China right now. So, hmm. um, you know, you have you have China actively infiltrating underground churches, uh, having people they they basically capture. Uh, 
a believer and then they'll talk to him like, well, how did you come to faith? And they'll, so then they'll send in double agents that act like they become saved so they can find the church, bust them and then kill them all. Not getting any wow. news coverage over here. 450 Christians died, were beheaded in China last year because this, they, they profess Christ. Uh, so what they do is they take SD cards and they mm. can hide them very easily around their body. So each SD card might have, you know, half the new Testament, old Testament, and they'll trade them. And they'll trade them in the underground church. So I always laugh too when you have Christians over here going, "Oh, we're persecuted." You had to wear a mask. I get it. Yep, they <laughs> shut down your church. Uh, I don't know if we're p- quite persecuted yet. When you look at, you know, Turkey, or you look at Yemen, or you look at yeah, uh, yeah China, as, but as much we're as definitely m- not privileged anymore as a religion. As much as you know, we tend to complain here in the United States. Comparatively, comparatively to other countries, sure. we have it very good. But that doesn't mean we lay down and then say, no. No. oh, yeah, just take it from us. Um, I was in the camp of, if you're shutting down a church, you shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't be a shepherd for, mm. for this pandemic. Then you, you meet at home, you meet at small groups, you do not shut down a church for something that gives you the cold. Well, I think, <laughs> well, I think but, but here's the other thing. I think there was also a purifying element to this pandemic. Because, 100%. Because part of the... Because Pastors had began to ask the question then in regards to how does like but not only with church and state but also with like how do we like respond to an actual disease you know yeah because because in one sense the government does have authority to like to stop a curtain like a breakout sure. or, or a virus um, but the other thing is is like how do you prevent it from from intruding into church service, you know, church worship. Yeah, I don't do know. You, like, what is the, like, where's the line that's drawn in Personal there? conscience. Yeah. Personal that, liberty. I don't think it's the government's right to say that, yes. especially to the to the Church of Christ. Yeah, but, the, and that's what I'm saying is, is that there's a <laughs> lot of, like, purifying and trying to figure out how do we handle such a case. Yeah. Because I'm not going to be a conspiracy theorist, but <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that there might, there could be like many more viruses like this, you know. And, oh, that's not conspiracy. Like, no, many more like this. They're going yeah. to deliberately say, love your neighbor, close your church, yeah. love your neighbor, wear a mask, love your neighbor, get vaccinated. I'm hearing that from, well, they're liberal pastors, but I'm hearing yeah. that from churches, yeah. which that's, Majority of churches. Majority of churches. Love your neighbor. Even Al Mohler, sadly, said yeah. he's going to get the vaccine to um, love his neighbor, you know, which I think... Like, so what that is, is that's a type of virtue signal from a, a pastor that I used to really respect. So what you're doing there is, look, you can get a vaccine. If yeah. you told me right now I went and got a vaccine because I personally felt it was best for my safety, I did all the research yeah. and I... Th- Sure, go yeah, ahead. Th- yeah, that's not where we're like. That's not right. The we're issue. not talking about that. The, the but when issue, you link it to a biblical concept, yes, right. biblical concept. Okay. The issue is, is like, um, it's almost like in a weird sense, is like just do what I say. You know, yeah. Love your neighbor, get vaccine because love your neighbor. You know, it's almost like you can't yeah. necessarily poke fun fat it. Otherwise, you're going against God. Which, by the way, here's a good question. Um, <laughs> Do you what think a segue. No, do you think that's the biggest problem in our church today? What's or, that? Or like with the um with the church and state and um regulations against churches or do you think there's something bigger that's going on? Bigger problem. Oh, all first and foremost, our churches love secular culture and they don't love Christ. Mm. They don't love the culture of Christ. That's the biggest issue. 
And that leads to all the other issues, hands hmm. down. Go into the majority of churches, uh, well, the, definitely the majority if you go into any major city, but even as you get into creep out into the suburbs and into the rural areas, they will incorporate things to mimic the secular culture. And you just go, what are you doing? We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to be hated. You no, know, just thinking podcast just did a huge exegesis on that phrase right there. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, oh, I thought I just thought of that all myself. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all right, Daryl and Virgil. Right, fine, we'll give it to you. <laughs> but, okay, sorry. Continue your train of <laughs> no, thought. Go ahead, go ahead. What did they do now? Well, they, they sort of exegete that line of reasoning, like we need to be in the world and of the world. Right. And they, I'm trying to remember correctly. It's like, that's a real cop-out, I think. Yeah. I think that's what it kind of boils down to. Yeah. Because... Well, it's definitely Christianese, and I kind of cringed even when I said it, yeah. because I, I really hate Christianese. It's like, in the world, not of the world, it goes around, comes around, you reap what you sow, and I think we just dumb it down to ju- judge not lest ye be judged. Like, do you even know what you're talking about? We've just so Christianized it, we've taken the context out, the actual meaning out. So even when I just said that right there, I, I kind of cringed a little bit, but my whole point was is I just see churches worshiping secular culture yeah. in, in, in just about every different way when we're supposed to be worshiping Christ. And that's going to look really different than what the world's doing. Hmm. Dude, I don't understand how churches think by when the world loves them that they're being a successful church. Christ said, you'll be hated if you love me. Like, and I'm not saying go out of your way to be, you know, mead or hated or, oh, you know, and there's, there's some Christians that do that, that try to go out of their way to be like, oh, look at that, a badge of honor if, if you find me offensive or hate. I'm not saying that either. I'm saying if you live a biblical life, the secular culture will go, yeah, I don't want any part to do with that mm-hmm. righteousness because I'm depraved. I want to continue freely sinning like we were talking about earlier. And it's, that's the number one thing is we have this allure to the secular culture within the church to where we go, we kind of want to be like that. We kind of want to dress like them. We want to talk like them. We want to have a show like that. We want to entertain like the world does. And if eh, Christ might come up and the Bible verses might come up and I want to do self-help like the world does, I, I want to I have nice things like the world does. And it's like, none of that's important. So let me ask this then. Yeah. I keep hearing... Uh, we as Christians should engage culture. I've also heard the opposite. Christians should engage culture, and I've heard both. <laughs> right? What should we should we as Christians engage in culture at all, or what? Well, I mean, where in the Bible did Christ not engage in culture, or send his disciples out to not engage in culture? Are you talking about with other people or culture in Could, general? Yeah, culture in general, I guess. So, like, so. We absolutely have to engage in culture. And another, another thing we have to do is take back the arts for the, for the Lord as well. Yeah. Like General Simpson said, um, he has a quote that's like, does the fifth and the seventh and the chord and the beat belong to Satan? Because if it does, we'll go down to hell. We'll plunder it back all for the glory of God because even the note belongs to Christ. And it's like God created the arts for us to glorify him and to appreciate. So I get really upset too when we just give art over to the secular culture and go, oh, well, yeah, what are we doing? Satan's using art again to, you know, harm our kids. And it's like, no, we own the arts. We get to write books. We get to make paintings. We get to do podcasting. We get to make movies and we get to glorify God with that because that's what it was created for. And 
they should be in the minority, but we just roll over as a Christian Western church and go, oh, well, we need to make our version of that. We need to make some horrible, crappy Christian movie that doesn't even quote the Bible properly. And that's our version of art. No, we or run over. A God prof- owns our or run over a professor and then he gets converted <laughs> at the very end, <laughs> right. which, by the way, I did an entire hour long view on against Pure Flix uh, mm-hmm. for that. Um Wait, you did a what did you do on that? Like I a, did an hour long rant against Pure Flix. Why haven't I seen this? Is it on your YouTube? It channel? It is on my YouTube channel. But this is before I made Reform Funny okay. Moments and stuff. I'm gonna like go that. watch it because well, it's Flix. there are a lot of things I would change in regards <laughs> to. I think it was too opinionated, and I think um, it should should be a lot no. shorter. Should be a lot shorter. Nah. Yeah, which is why I mean the next <laughs> video after that actually was almost almost like a rebuttal response to my. Uh, previous. <laughs> you did a reaction previous. rebuttal to your own video? Because, because, I love it. Because I realized, you know what, let's make it like a more objectable and more informative. And that's what's called cinema for God's sake. It's like 20 minutes long. It's a video right. essay on how art glorifies God. And you're right. We need to take back the art because um, art is God's. You're not, yeah. God is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. It has meaning and value and purpose. The world does not have that foundation, and so they purposely make it meaningless. Um, For sure, you, you bring your own interpretation. Well, right. well, it doesn't matter. Well, that's still an interpretation. So, yeah. uh, what what makes good art? Art is good. Art is true, and art is beautiful yeah. because that's what encompasses God. God is good. God is true, and God is beautiful. When you have those three qualities on full display, then you get masterpieces that so i think you're right christians should at least take it into cinema um but what about politics well what about it should we be involved in politics i keep hearing so many times you christians you're so political you're always yeah so Um, you're always so political like you're a one-issue voter Uh, wait a minute in the world is not and unbelievers are not political like what? What are we saying when we're saying that? What's the accusation? We say you Christians. I think are so that's. Political. I think that the that's you know? the heart of the issue is. It's just so vague and nebulous. Well, I I would respond and go what in the rest of the world is not. You, I don't have secular unbelievers trying to transition kids in closets in California. I don't have. Uh, uh, pro-choice activists that are 17, 18, 19 years old, fresh out of high school or college trying to murder babies. Like what what are you, so what are you talking about? What's, what's the accusation? I'm not supposed to be involved in the world and create and help create a a godly order uh, under his righteous rule. Like, no, uh, even Paul, I, I love the example when Paul's like in jail for a year and a half and he bides his time. And then he goes, Oh, uh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. Are you allowed to hold me like this? Because if not, I need to go see the dude in charge. And they went, oh, you're a Roman citizen. So he used the system of politics and used his Roman citizenship to his advantage. He could have just stayed in there and went, oh, Lord, please rescue me from this prison cell like you did before when I was sitting next to Silas. No, he was wise and he was discerning. And when the moment presented itself, he used the political system to get him out of jail. Like, why can't we, why is it a, one or another, one or other, why can't it be a yes and? Why can't I believe that the Lord can miraculously save, do miraculous miracles, and also say that he allows me to have a discerning, wise brain to use it in situations when it's provided? I don't, and that's where kind of politics is for me. It's like, yeah, I, I am going to believe in who Christ was, and I have a biblical worldview, 
but I also am going to make, like me personally, uh, instituted a legislative law to make this a sanctuary state for the second amendment as a county commissioner. And then we did that in February, I'm sorry, in January of 2020. And there was language in there saying that if the sheriff or the health department did anything unconstitutional, we would not fund them. Right. And we were doing it for guns for second amendment because I'm a big second amendment guy. Okay. And then we can get into that too. That's crazy. When you're a Christian, you also believe in self-defense. I mean, that's part that. of the sanctification process, right? You get saved, yeah. you watch daily wire and get a shotgun. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Uh, which I went through. Or that sorry, thing, a so gun yeah. permit. Some, gun some permit. people don't like shotguns. Yeah. So, but then the funny thing was in the, in the providence of God in February, in March of 2020, we started having all these lockdowns in Michigan. Mm. Right. And our governor was like, Hey, we're locking everyone down. You can't even come out of your house for a week. She was like big wretch. She was just like Newsom, uh, Newsolini out there in California. And the, sh- the sheriff calls us. What do they call it? Uh, Gavin Newsom, but <laughs> Wait, they call him Newsolini. That's the first time I've ever heard Newsolini. That yeah. just sounds like a noodle. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a very bad dictator noodle uh, like Mussolini. That was, that's the whole point. So, but the, but so, so then we get a call at the, our board of commissioners and goes, Hey, you guys just created this thing saying, if we do any unconstitutional law, we won't get funded. We're not really going to enforce these mass things and these fines because we want to get funded. And we went, huh. And the providence of the Lord, here I am establishing something for uh, second amendment, but under the language, it was interpreted for these crazy COVID shutdowns. So we had a County that di- didn't listen to the governor, one of two counties, because me and two other commissioners got together two months before and created a, you know, so you would, I think that's something positive out of that because there's going to be all kinds of issues with like mm-hmm. mental health and uh, depression went through the roof with these shutdowns and uh, suicides were up and shame on the politicians who said, yeah, the, the, the virus that needs sunlight to die and not be morbidly obese told us go sit in your house and get out, get inside. And it was like just insanity to me that these people were doing this and there was a little ray of hope to where, okay, so someone like me who has a certain worldview, who is a professed Christian, who's in local politics was able to do something that was positive And I think aligned with the Bible. Um, so I would say, absolutely. If you, cause I've said this when I door knock, if you um, have a, biblical worldview. I want you in politics. I want you to be creating laws or removing laws from the books that aren't godly. Now, what's the biblical exegesis of that? I don't know. I think that's a whole nother podcast episode, but I don't like when people say you Christians are so political. You're always involved in politics. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's, it seems like, like a lot of people accuse us of being politic, like being political, you know, all the all the sure. time. But what's more politically charged than saying Jesus is Lord? I <laughs> right. mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is Lord over heaven and earth. Yeah. And even the rulers that be, whether it's your local governor or, t- or township, they're under the subjugation of Christ Himself. Sure. So, which. And for the first 160 years of this country, that that was just the norm. Yeah. Like even John Adams said, like, once a people become immoral, the Constitution is no good for them. And when he was saying immoral, it was in a letter when he was writing about being a believer, being Mm -hmm. a Christian, like Christ being king. So we just took that as like the baseline for 160 years in this country. It hasn't been really until the last 60 years or so. 
uh, that we've actually said, oh no, we don't we don't need Christ and we don't need the Mosaic Law and we don't need His foundational. And that's you know. why you're seeing people go insane. Like when when <laughs> yeah. when you when you have God abandoned from any basic forms of what even the basics, right? Life, family, gender, private property, law and order. Sure. Uh, when you get God out of those. Then you get deviations from those norms. That's why no one wants to define what a woman is. This right. is this is why you have uh, mob rule seems to rule the court systems now. This sure. is why you see um, people wanting to kill their babies, yeah. right? So when you get God out of there and having no biblical foundation, you get insanity, which leads to a very in, in very really quickly though too, and then it's not a vacuum. If you remove God from the United States, it's just not nothing. Now you just have to replace it with a new yeah. religion, and that's and, and we the, have it's statism. It's statism. There, yeah. The, yeah I, I keep hearing like, oh, we need this place of neutrality. I'm sorry, but there's no such thing as neutrality. Life isn't neutral. I mean, if you take a look at your Bible, <laughs> take a look at your Bible. It'd be so helpful if we just read our Bibles, right? And you see that you either for God or you're against him. Yeah. I mean. When Elijah was standing on top of that hill, did he not say, let's have this place of neutral zone? Yeah, we just need a neutral zone, zone where we, we all get along. Baal right here, we'll, we'll express his no. opinions. No, he says, are you either for Baal or are you either for, for God? God? Yeah. And sadly, the story shows that Israel was too scared to choose either. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible, just because of him then mocking, mm -hmm. maybe your God's on the toilet. You know, like... I just love a prophet like that. Like he was a little bit like he knew who his God was. Maybe he's cut yourselves a little harder. Maybe he'll hear you then. Maybe he's out to lunch. I mean, if you read the original, I mean, he was basically saying, maybe your God's taking a crap right now. <laughs> That's how he was. And I yeah. just, I just love him teasing them a little bit. Cause he's like, and then, but then when he approaches the, he approaches the throne and he's talking to God, he's in humbleness. He says, Lord, you know what I mean? And then he's like, all humble. But like when they're all dancing around, he's like, yeah, maybe your God's but on the my, toilet. My favorite story is also, <laughs> of that narrative is actually after that when he hits his yeah. low you know yeah. when he says when he when queen jezebel makes a vague threat and yeah. sh and he runs off and runs away and then goes bef and goes to a cave and then god still takes care of him and then he walks out uh after all the you know the earthquake and fire and all sure. that and he says why are you here and he says lord i'm the only one left and what does he say what does god say I have 300 that have not bowed the, the knee to Baal. Yeah. Which goes to show God still has a remnant. He still has a remnant. I Always. mean, it, do, it does feel like the church is losing, but in reality, it's winning. Yeah. It's winning. Oh, absolutely. It's winning. That Christ is reigning. He is ruling. He uh, churches, churches are booming. In fact, probably one of the best things about the pandemic was that if you had your church open— you thrived. Yeah. That was that the, the God set the bar so darn low. Yeah. All you had to do is keep it stay open. That's pretty much. But it was what you were alluding to earlier to where there was like a refining process. Yes. Like the church has always gotten stronger under persecution. And even if you call like COVID, the whole COVID stuff persecution, it was like the churches that shut down and shut down for a year, good. We didn't really need you anyway. We don't need more churches. We need I more disciples. Hear, I keep hearing stories of people when they go to a church 
they start crying into tears because they finally get some semblance of sanity, you know, like with the riots and you're like, what's going on? What's happening? And they go to a church where God is exalted. He is on his throne. He is reigning. Christ says victorious. He is death and purchase your salvation. I mean, isn't that great of a comfort to know? As long as you're going to church that's preaching that. Yeah. <laughs> There's some churches that won't wish, touch anything wish, you just said. Like Anne with Stanley, <laughs> closest church, which, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, good, we didn't really need those types of churches anyway. We, we need churches that sa- stand on the solid rock of ages and preaches the gospel, and the gospel only. You know? So uh, this is there's no easy way to transition to this, and obviously okay. my goal in this podcast interview is to get you canceled. Uh, so we're going to answer this question. Uh, did Epstein kill himself? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course he didn't. I'm kidding. Uh, so, <laughs> of course he didn't. So, in regards to politics, um, can a Christian, a Bible believing, born again Christian, vote Democrat? With the current platform that they have, because each major yes. party has a platform that they vote on every four years before the presidential election, no. What are you, you a Christian you nationalist? <laughs> right. Uh, I would say, too, you would have a very hard time voting for many Republicans. Now, the mm. platform, uh, the Republican platform, which they haven't went by in almost 20 years, mm. is much more biblically sound than the Democratic platform. At least the Democrats come out and they're like, this is this is what we want. At we least want they're to, honest. Yeah, we want to kill babies and we want people to have mental disorders about their uh, gender and sexual identity. Uh, we want to take all your money and redistribute to whoever we want. Um, we don't want, to be, want you to be able to defend yourself. And we think that, you know, mo- most life isn't worth living. Uh, we would love to really try to get so much regulation that we have population control and we don't want the biblical mandate of procreation. So... Yeah, at least they come out and say that. Now, Republicans don't say that, but they there's so many Republicans that I wouldn't vote for. And I'm a registered Republican as a county commissioner, um, a platform Republican. Uh, but that's why you also you don't vote for the party. You vote for the person. You go sit down with your public representative mm. and say, what do you believe? Because you represent. this isn't a democracy. We're in a constitutional republic. So that person goes to the state capitol, goes to the country's capital in D.C., and then represents you based on what they said. That's why I said the biggest disservice uh, and the number one thing to look out for in your public servants is ones who lie, who say one thing and do another. Well, then vote them out uh, because that's really all you can go on is what they tell you that they believe and they're going to do. And I've had I've sat down with some of them. And he said, yeah, you have my support based on what you said you're going to do. And then they get to that place and it's a very different world. Like, and we were talking about like Christians and politics. It is a, such a godless, lawless, gossip filled, uh, adultery power, uh, you know, hunger for power, uh, backstabbing world. Like even at the state level, when I was a legislative liaison in Lansing, even the few times I went down to Washington, DC, um, when Trump got in, he actually invited out elected officials and we got to sit down and talk to him. He goes, well, if I make this law, how will it affect a, a county? If I make this law, how will it affect a township? No president had ever done that before and no president ever did it since. So for the bad rap that Trump got is this like authoritarian guy. He called in over 800 local people and he did it in by like three states at a time. So he talked to over 5,000 locally elected officials and went, Hey, if I roll back the 2015 Farm Act, how will that affect you guys in a rural community? There was no president doing that for the for the last 
200 years almost. And it's like, hmm. so that was, uh, you know, but even when I said that, because when I went down to DC, it's just like, oh, what a scummy place. I would not, if I was a believer in, you know, like a Rand Paul, who's a self, you know, professes to be a Christian and you're in Washington, DC, it's like, you're just surrounded by the most vile, hmm. nasty. It's like, you better be in your word. You better be in prayer. You know what I mean? You better be like a Martin Luther. I want four hours of prayer every morning and every wow. evening. Uh, so it's hard though. You know, it'd be hard to, to be a believer and but be in that but, world. I mean, people have done it in history. And I think that's it. The encouragement sure. is we have a long line of faithful uh, Christians that have done this. John Owen sure. was like, he was a very public figure yeah. and yet he was so obsessed with holiness, yeah. so obsessed with holiness and keeping holy and pure. And he's probably one of the few, I guess, highly respected Christians um, that maintained and engaged in the political sphere yet maintained his integrity and his word in his... Um, that's the tough part is maintaining that. Maintaining your integrity. So, and that's the thing with politics is that that's, it's the art of compromise, right? Oh, 100%. And you got to be, got to be very careful as to like, not to compromise any, you know, of your beliefs, of your Christian beliefs in that. And it's not just because you're making deals. It's because you can become very, I've seen it so many times. You can become accustomed to the perks and mm -hmm. to, you know, the minute you get elected, your jokes get funnier. Somehow you get better looking because everyone's like, oh, you look great today. <laughs> you start dressing better. Oh, you look nice. Oh, you eat better. Hey, you want to go out for dinner? Uh, especially with lobbyists and things like that. And it's like, you get used to that and it's very, just puffs you up. And then, then you also have to start making decisions to where you might have a whole caucus uh, like say the Republican caucus go, Hey, you need to vote on this pro pro-life bill this so, certain way. So here's and a, you go, I'm not going to win in two years again, if I vote this way. And you got that in the back of your head. Yeah. See a lot of them do that. So here's a tougher question that okay. I think has become as a late. Um, so we, we believe that, you know, if you vote Democrat at this point, I mean, you're basically sinning. I mean, there's no way you can, in your gut, you can just, you're basically sinning. well, there's no, like, I mean, yeah. with the amount of information you have in regards to what, you know, the Democrat platform is advocating for, it's like impossible for you to be, uh, to, yeah. in your good conscience. To be, so to be clear though, like you take someone like JFK, who is a, a, a classical liberal. Yeah. Okay. And he was in the democratic party. He was pro-life. He was Catholic. He was uh, anti-big government. He lowered taxes. He wanted to uh, end the Fed, right? Dude, he, he's a like a far-right Republican now in yeah. 1964. Yeah. So it's like when we say vote Democrat, it sounds like yeah. we're generalizing, but we're saying like, yeah, the, the platform of the Democrats with all those social issues, shedding of innocent blood, all that – Yes, yeah, I'm not, really try, no I'm not trying to like straw man it. And you've kind of, I'm very glad you kind of went to the details as to you need to sit down with your local officials, like who you're voting for. You're voting for the person. Uh, it seems to be, though, within the platform itself. I mean, you can even take a look. It's an expression of the platform. Yeah. There are many godless um, uh, tenants that are, oh, 100%. that are against the Christian worldview. The tougher question that I see, and maybe we could discuss this or not, feel free to push back a little bit, is I'm beginning to see a couple of pastors say, because of the recent Roe versus Wade leak, that leaked draft, mm -hmm. and how liberals just lost their mind, um, and seeing, you know, their holy sacrament, like, being, yeah. being potentially overturned, that any person who professes to be a Christian and yet is an advocating for the Democrat platform will be, will be under church discipline. 
Now, wait, say that again. So anyone who is advocating for the democratic, who professes to be a Christian, Christian. but is uh, who is advocating for you know the Democrat Party, will be under church discipline. I've heard that. Um, maybe it's more fleshed out than that, but that's the general overview okay. that I'm hearing. I'm hearing that from. I mean, Tom Buck has said this. Okay. On Twitter, who's the guy that did Right Response Ministries? You know him, Joel, Joel Webin. Joel Webin. He's he been made, on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, really? He made a video and said that publicly. Have we gotten to that point, or is that still a gray area that needs to be figured out? So, my personal thought on that is just the way that's worded. It has political undertones to it. Okay. And I think, although I believe Christians can serve in public servitude. They're two totally separate things. I don't think if I I would probably walk out of my church if my pastor brought in a governor candidate to bring yeah. him into oh, the yeah. pulpit, like, right, right, like to put those yeah. two together. So what Joel's doing, and Joel's a good friend, and if he listens to this, Joel, you can, you can call me out on this, but I wouldn't. What you're doing is when you're saying Democrat, you, you're, you're politically charging it on purpose to say like, uh, well, you can't vote for that whole that whole party. I would say under church discipline, if someone says I voted for a Democrat and I, and why, Oh, because I believe in the the right to abortion and I believe in the right to transition. Well, we have church discipline under those issues. I don't necessarily know if we have to call it Democrat and I'm not going soft on the Democrats here because believe me for 15 years, that's all I do is call out Democrats and liberals and stupid progressives. (laughs) And now we're into woke stuff and it's like, they've lost their minds. I get that. I just don't like when a shepherd or a pastor uses politically charged language to then try to maybe sway a vote or to align with one party over the other. And maybe I'm just oversimplifying, but that's what I'm hearing. Uh, maybe yeah. I can. Maybe after the show, I can show you a clip or two, and uh, you can get maybe more fleshed out in regards to that. Yeah. But I, I agree. Uh, it's like, uh, we, we got to be careful. I think the best thing a pastor can do is to inform the congregation of the two parties, you know, sure. So that they are inf- they are informed of what's going on. Um, oh, I would have no problem on a Sunday or even in a small group or a su- Sunday morning, uh, like uh, you, you know, Sunday school. Going here's here's the platform of this party, and this is what they believe. And here's what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Make make your choice. Now, if I I know someone personally who says, "Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm I'm a Bible believing Christian." very Democrat, very liberal, very progressive. They had their Black Lives Matter sign outside of their church right down the street here. They had their we support trans uh, you know, lives, all that stuff. And I just go, okay, then what are you defining as a Christian? Because that's the heart of the issue. Because Ligonier just did their yearly uh, survey, and of 10,000 professing Christians, 65% of them didn't even believe in the Trinity. Or the deity of Christ, and they mm-hmm. call themselves a Christian. So then it's like, then we have to define terms, right? Because then that's confusing when you're like, I'm a Christian, but... And it's like, well, then, no, you're really not a Christian. You don't believe what the Bible says. So I think that can become a little confusing, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think that's kind of like the the point of where we're at right now, is that we need to... Yeah, it, it's... it's I don't know where I'm going with that, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> my brain, my brain just kind of flatlined. But yeah, it's kind of that the issue with like you know, yeah. When we say like the Democrats, we're not trying to straw man it. Um, it's like you need to do your research as to who is the most godly candidate, who has you know godly principles, who has principles that are found from the Bible. Um, it, <laughs> 
And you, so I've I've said really quick. I'll just interject. I've said this to candidates before. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a congressman in this district who was a Baptist minister. I said I want to talk to you. We sat down and I said, "What are you doing to glorify God in this position?" And he goes, "Well, uh, abortion." Uh, no, no, no. What are you? How are you glorifying God in this position? Are you going to make righteous laws? Are you going to oppose unrighteous? Like what? And that really should be the question to every single public uh, servant that you sit down with. If you're if you're a Christian, not hey, are you going to give you going to make those liberals cry? Are you going to vote <laughs> in the guy that's going to uh, mean tweet? Are you going to no? What are you doing to glorify God in that position? And I'll tell you what, I've met a lot of uh, self-professing Christian politicians that don't know how to answer that question hmm. and, and might not even know truly, you know, the word of God truly. And just because you got to realize if you're in a certain area, you put a Christian in front of your name, you're going to win an election. You go down to uh, certain parts of Tennessee, Alabama, South Carolina, you can't run unless you say you're a Bible thumping, God, God believing Christian. Well, what does that mean? They don't care as long as you say those words. Just like on the left, you have leftists. It's like yeah. you know, I'm oh, a pro-choice. I, I remember where I was going to go with it. Okay, so, there you go. So just to be, I f- knew if I talked long enough, so bring it back. To be fair, to be to be fair, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, we we can we can bash you know Democrats all we want, and because they have gone insane, but <laughs> yes, with Republicans, I think the big issue that I see in their platform is most of them are. Don't have a spine. Oh, most, for sure. Most of them don't have a spine, and most of them are just platforming on issues that you know that tug the strings, and they don't do anything. I like this quote. Uh, I might botch it, but this quote where it's Republicans they the Republicans they keep complaining about how the government doesn't work, and they get elected to prove that it doesn't. So, so <laughs> right. like, I, but that pretty much sums up what, like the the, pro- the problem that we see. Yeah. But also, I think one thing from a Christian perspective, we should expect sinners to be sinners. Right. We expect. Pagans to act like pagans. Yeah. And um, so we expect pagans to take even Christian principles and use it as a platform to get themselves into power. So we, we expect that, right? Sure, yeah. So, so we don't put our Lord and Savior in the, next, <laughs> in the next president or the next congressman or try to elect someone into office to fix the issue. I don't think so. We should. Right. We, we do care about what's going on. We should. Um, Absolutely. We should care about what's going on. In fact, I think that's also a problem for Christians that I see is there seems to be a push to be as far away from, like, don't get involved in politics at all, as yeah. in, like— Go be an Amish. Live out, live out in the middle. I've had of that no, thought in a nowhere. I mean, it sounds really good, but what does Paul say about against? How do you call it? Asceticism. Yeah. Like, uh, God didn't call you out of the world yet. Yeah, we're not supposed to be separatists. I don't think. Yeah, we're not out of the world yet. Yeah, we are still to be salt and light in the world. We're still so still called to preserve. So you told me you've been to the UP in Michigan, right? The Upper Peninsula. Yes. Uh, I've been up there. You look around up there, you go, I could really see myself getting a couple hundred acres up here in the middle of nowhere. I'll go get my five or six families that I know believe in, believe in the word. And we'll just, we'll solar, solar panel it and lake it up and let's go. And there's like something kind of almost romantic about that in a day and age where everything's just so modernized and instant. And it's like, no one works for anything or appreciates. And then I had that thought for a while and I went, yeah, but what's the point of that? Just hiding out. We're salt, man. 
Mm-hmm. You don't take table salt and just set it on the table and look at it when you have a meal. You got to salt your your meat. You got to salt your food. Like we we are in this world to be to be light, to preach the gospel, to preach Christ crucified and rose again. And it's like, and I think also, um, I think Darrell Harrison um, said he's okay to lose, and I think we should be okay to lose. Sure. And what I mean by that is. Don't be afraid to preach the gospel, preach righteousness, teach what's, uh, teach what's good and right, and you're probably going to lose in, like, you might going to get falsely accused. You probably might also get imprisoned or maybe even lose your life. Don't be afraid to lose because this is not our home. Right. This is not our home. Uh, yeah. Every our- apostle and every disciple and every early church father lost. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. They were they were put to death, tortured, martyred, whatever it was. And it's like you're absolutely right. Like don't be afraid to lose because we're just passing through here. Ecclesiastes makes that very clear. Uh re- reading that book will just put a whole new perspective on we're just here for a season, man. You yeah, know? I mean our life is our life I mean is a vapor. It, yeah. It's it's very short. I mean, one of my one of my favorite, the only favorite illustration I had from Francis Chan was when he sho- uh, was when he showed a piece of string, yeah, and he showed like our life is like this much, and that he has, and then he keeps going down this long line. It's like, but attorney is like this. Yeah, he kept stretching out the string over like all the way to its end. It's like literally like 50 feet long. But his point was, and it's a good visualization that with all the problems that we're facing now is so tiny and short. If we actually focus on a kingdom, an eternal kingdom that's going to come and be established and that's never going to end, yeah. there's no democracy in heaven. There, yeah. there is there's only one God, one Lord, and one king to rule all the nations with a rod of mm, iron. Reach rod of iron. So that's our hope. That's yeah. that's what we're looking forward to. I mean, we're going to have glorified bodies in heaven. Sure. We're going to be with the Lamb, and we're going to worship Him for all eternity, which I want to ask whether you are pre-mill, mill or post-mill. <laughs> oh, what a segue. All right. So... <laughs> So I started preaching the gospel, which is supposed to be your job Uh-oh. at the very end. But um, so, uh, so I guess we'll just, I guess, shift to more personal questions, I guess. Okay. More personal questions. So first off, are you a pre-mill, a-mill, post-mill, or are you a pansy-mill? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, so, you know, just up until just three or four years ago, I used to just ignore the whole eschatology debate. I go, mm. why is it even important? Just live every day as if Christ is returning. I don't care. It's too, it, you know, I, I came up in church where like we were into this thing of like the whole left behind stuff and pre, you know, the pre-mill. Because uh, left behind, dispensa- it's, it's, it's such an inspiration. <laughs> Dispensational kind Nicholas of whatever. Cage and his, <laughs> this, oh my and gosh. I was always bombarded with like, oh man, Israel's coming to an end in this generation. And then there was like Daniel stuff and Mark of the Beast and UPC scanners are the link to a mega computer. That's the beast. Right. And I was just like, it doesn't matter. And then, about four years ago, I went, oh, no, it does matter because it totally affects uh, the Great Commission. It, it affects the way you live this life. If you are truly a like a pre-mill dispensationalist, like, get my rapture hat or rapture hatch on my roof because I want to be zapped up out of here so I don't have to suffer doing this. Well, then you just, just like we were discussing in the last segment, 
yeah, go get yourself 50 acres and go hide out until the rapture comes. Like you're, you're not, you're not doing, you know, you're not taking part in the great commission to preach the gospel. I probably, I could be either one. I could be post mill or optimistic on mill. I probably lean towards optimistic on mill. I love the idea of the simplicity of covenant theology, uh, a mill eschatology. It's just, we, we complicate things so much in the Bible. Christ is ruling and reigning. I really like the, the argument of, you know, even like the original Hebrew for Yom is a span of time. Um, a thousand years is that same word where it's just a span of time. It might not be a literal thousand years. I'm okay with, uh, the thousand years just being a span of time in Christ ruling and reigning right now. And this is part of the kingdom. Um, right. or I could go post mill. I'm fine with saying we're post mill as well too. And, um, you know, that's what we're working towards right now. We're working towards the, as Doug Wilson puts it, the handing off of the reins to Christ who then comes and rules and reigns. I don't think, I think it's a secondary doctrinal issue. I'm no, not, it's a primary doctrinal issue. Well, you're, you're going to hell if you do believe. Well, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. It's primary. Kidding. It, look, it's primary if you're pre-mill dipsy. Like if you're just like hiding out in your basement because Christ is going to rapture you and then like you have this horrible eschatology of like the, there's a whole nother rapture after that because he leaves people behind and then they can still come to Christ. But it, that's insanity to yeah. me. Um, now, classical pre-mill, like a John MacArthur, I, I can see how he can make a case for that too. And that doesn't affect his his ability to preach the gospel um, when he's from a pl- classical covenant pre-mill. Um, but I'm, I pro- like I said, I'm optimistic on mill, probably lean that way. I, I just have to do more study on it, man. I could, I could go either way and be okay with it or post. So let me ask this then when some, maybe, maybe well, we're going to push that a little bit. So, um, let me ask this when someone say like for a mill, a millennials, aren't they like sort of spiritualizing texts too? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Like I said, I'm not an expert on it, but I look at you're saying spiritualized, but I'm saying I'm actually looking at the actual word that's used there when it's talking about a thousand years and it doesn't mean a thousand. It means a span of time. So just like um, how I can probably go either way on either young earth or old earth, it's a span of time. Now, some people might call me a heretic. If you don't believe in a literal six day, well, guess what? It, do, it doesn't say 24 hour day there. It says a span of time. Y-O-M, Yom just means a span of, on this span of time, he created the animals at this span of time. So what does that span of time mean? Uh, Dr. Hugh Ross makes a very good point. He's an astrophysicist and a cosmologist that uh, makes a very good point that each day could be about a billion and a half years. Now he's not advocating for evolution. He's saying we can go back and look at the record and say, if the earth is six, about six or 7 billion years old, uh, we've only been living on it for the last 15,000, but each day was about a billion and a half years. And you can line up where we had the crustacean period and where we had plant growth and where we first, you know, so I think that's a secondary issue and they take that word and use it literally. I think you can apply that to eschatology because that's the big thing we're talking about is really the rule and reign of Christ, that thousand years. That's what gets in everyone's craw. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what's that thousand years? And when I look at pre I just go, I don't see Christ ruling and reigning and then people still sinning and and doing all this crazy stuff and having a second chance. If Christ is ruling and reigning and we can still sin, then what's the point? Uh, And then with, but with post mill, I understand that as well too, of of saying, yeah, it's, it's after that, um, you know, post after the, after After the the tribulation, after the tribulation, no, 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 after, after, sorry, after the thousand years, thousand years, um, I don't know. I guess you could accuse me of spiritualizing it, but uh, I think I'm being pretty pretty uh, consistent if I just go, well, one of the main tenets of the rule and reign of Christ, the word doesn't fit there. Hmm. Um, 
Now we had someone like Gary DeMar on and he would probably run circles around me uh, on that and, and have a, a bunch of comebacks because he's obviously partial preterist and uh, post mill. Uh, and I would encourage anyone listening to yeah, this, someone go check out his podcast because it's unbelievable. Yeah, someone might accuse you of being a pilgrim. Like, <laughs> no, you're, you're almost there, man. Just keep going. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah. Con- convince me on uh, post mill, and I'm I'm there too. I just say I lean that way. Uh, I, I, but I could probably be very easily convinced either way. So we've left out, is his name Jason? Yes. Jason. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, he's hardcore post mill. Oh, hardcore post mill. Yeah. So we, we always joke over here. He's like, oh, you optimistic odd millers. I'm like, oh, you, you know, post millers. But, um, I think we're in the, we're really close. I mean, that's one of those friendly debates to where if I, if I meet a a miller and a post miller, we're like 99% the same. We're really just disagreeing on the actual rule and reign of Christ. But we're, and when I say, I say optimistic, because I do have an optimistic outlook of the future because Christ is ruling and reigning, whether you think it's part of the thousand year or right now in heaven, it's like, I don't understand those Christians that have that pessimistic. Oh, it's, it's like, who do you think sitting on the throne right now? Like, what does your Bible say? So I'm very far from that. That's why I always put that optimistic Amill in there. Because your Amillers can become very pessimistic, Well, not too. to be a Demi Downer, but I'm a pre-mill. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. Uh, but Okay. But uh, like Probably classical pre-mill, though, right? Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a dispensationalist. I find that wonky. Okay. Um, because... Uh, well, you're in good company with Mr. MacArthur, then. Well, yeah. I, I'll be a leaky dispensationalist, then. <laughs> I, or I've also another term called uh, progressive dispensational. That's a very common very common term. I'm not familiar with that. They're, they're the that same mean? terminology. They're the okay. same, like potato, potato type of thing. But uh, I'll call myself leaky dispensationalist for the sake of it. But it's, <laughs> it seems it seems to be that, you know, like you, like I don't have that, you know, fleshed out. And you could yeah. maybe like con- working on it. convince me one way or the other, but it's my mentor's fault for teaching me pre-mill. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm prone towards that because you know i meet with my mentor every other week and um okay we go through verse by verse through the bible and uh, it just seems uh he's been slowly teaching me pre-mill uh but uh, and just looking at so we went through like um you know first corinthians and we went through um you know, we went through different parts of the bible but yeah. then there's first corinthians 15 and you know there's that famous I think it's 15 or 16. One of those passages where it says, like, he's reigning and ruling, must put everything under his feet or something like that. And uh, we looked at passages, and I just came convinced. I'm not exactly sure where they're getting that um, post-mill idea, idea, um, because it makes more sense if there was a literal thousand-year reign and where Christ is ruling with a rod of iron, all nations are then put in subjugation under his feet. Sure. Um, and, and even looking at the Old Testament, um, I just did a teaching series on Joel about a year ago, I think, where I just looked at, which Joel, by the way, is one of the um, most interesting, vague books, Old Testament <laughs> books. Well, it's, it's it's vague and because we don't we only know who wrote it, but we don't know when it was written. Right. Uh, we don't even because we don't know when it's written. We don't not know necessarily the historical like context of it too. Context yeah. like who's the, which kings were around that time and all that. But what we do know is that there was a locust, there was a famine, and Israel repented. They turned from it, and at the very end, there seems to be uh, covenant promises that God has is going to pour out, like of lavishing in an abundance, like yeah. something that you'll never see over and over again. And so. 
like those passages and other passages, I see like there seems to be like a put, uh, a restoration of Israel that there's going that Israel is going to be restored and that all the Jews will be saved at some point. They'll they'll turn to Christ and they'll see him as actually the Messiah. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of where that's where I fall in again. Like I, if <laughs> I mean that's my biblical conviction, but if it was it, but I would like to be a post mill. I would really like to be a post mill. <laughs> really, it's the most. Opti- the it's the mo- it's the most optimistic one. Yeah, it, I, I agree with you, but I just think. Uh, well, I think you can be optimistic in any of them. Oh yeah, I I can be. I am. I think an it's optimistic. a personal choice. Like I really I, think it's like knowing who God is makes you optimistic. He's sovereign over all. He's ruling and reigning. I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My God can save me. My God will save me. If he but doesn't. even if he doesn't. That's the attitude I go through without life. He can provide, he will provide, even if he doesn't. He can save. You know, it's like, why don't we have that attitude as Christians all the time and just rest in the sovereignty of God? Like, it's not nihilism. Now, I'm not saying, oh, whatever will be, will be. I'm saying the providence, divine providence and sovereignty of God is, is such a beautiful thing that why can't we say exactly that and be optimistic whether we're pre-mill, post-mill, ah-mill, or like you said, pansy-mill? One of the most... <laughs> I say pansy because I come from a contemporary church that adopted that view in their doctrinal statement. Yeah. And uh, I, I know there's some godly Christians that would be like, well, I'll pin out in the end. But like John MacArthur, I agree with him. It's like God just didn't just all of a sudden stumble and then fall out, you know, at, right, the, at the right. very end. You know, come on. He gave us a book to figure it out. But also there needs to be a humility in that as much as I want to study and understand Revelation, um, there's a sense like I don't know. Yeah. Like like the four, there's 14,000 people with a, with, a mark, with a mark on their, on their forehead. And actually, interesting enough— the the church service I went to um, last Sunday was preaching on Revelation fourteen, and he was a post mill, but he handled the text phenomenally in regards to um, how the symbol in front of your forehead is supposed to represent like you being on the forefront, God being on the forefront of your mind, and, 100%. He, and, he, and he quotes passages in the Old Testament, so Old Testament to show like you need to love the Lord your God with all your with every fiber of your being, and that's what these you know. That's what the people of God are going to be, and 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 also compare the contrast that with the secular world, like the the regular sinful world, where it's the opposite, where Satan, the mark of the beast, is now going to be on the mark and for. Well, who do you trust in? What culture yes. and what do you trust in? The the yes. the rulers of this era or Christ as King, right? Mm-hmm. Like so, hand is marketplace and yeah, market. It's like and, work. It's, yeah, it's like work, and then this is discernment and thinking. I'm not convinced that it's a physical mark. I'm just not fully convinced. I mean, so if it's a physical mark, then where's all the people that are Christians with the mark of the lamb? Three did verses you, later. Did you know? It says the mark of the beast, and then it says, and those marked with the mark of the lamb. So where's this mark of the lamb? When you, do I get a mark that says you, I believe in Jesus? Did you know that there was a little freak out that happened when barcodes were introduced? <laughs> yeah, I lived there. I'm old enough to remember it. <laughs> when there was barcodes, they thought it was a mark of the beast, you know, yeah. buying and selling and, tra- and trading. Um, I'm just going to throw that uh, fact out yeah, there. Yeah, so if you look at any barcode, you have a six in the very first fat line is a six, the middle one is a six, and the end is a six. Every barcode begins with a six, the middle bar is a six, the end is a six, and then you have the code in between. So that's those three bars is what the laser hits and knows, okay, I'm reading a barcode because I have that spacing because they're all uniform. That barcode, that reading machine, 
those were all linked up to a supercomputer that Walmart, like guys like Walmart would use. People didn't know this, but back in the 80s, Walmart had the largest 12.5 terabytes which or teragigs, which was huge back then really? in the 80s. Wow. And every time you scan something, they would route it to there and go, oh, man, a lot of people are buying Barbies in Idaho. We need to ship more Barbies to Idaho. Uh, and that's how they became so effective before this is before Amazon kids. Sorry. This is, this is an old man talking. Uh, they would, that's how they would know how, where to ship things. And that's how, it, you know what I mean? So everyone got so crazy, like in the late eighties and even the early nineties, like, Oh, this is six, six, six on the UPS. It's the, it's the code, right? <laughs> and it's now, so here's the thing. This is how I lean on um, mill or even post mill and not that pre mill and literally interpret uh, revelation, not just because there's Mark of the beast and Mark of the lamb. And we never talk about Mark of the lamb, but every single generation has had a form of what they think the Mark is. Yeah. Every single generation, which is why I like now the- we're into like Elon Musk and oh, he's going to put something in the back of our brain. That's the Mark. Oh, when credit cards first came out in the sixties and seventies, Oh, you use a credit card in your right hand and that's electronic. And that's how you buy and sell credit cards are the Mark. It's like, no, it's a symbol for what do you put your trust in Christ or the world? I, that's how I interpret that. But no, no, I completely agree with you, and that's how he interpret that, and that's yeah. why it made it, it's not it not only it's almost like a c- c- cyclical, cyclical, yeah. cyclical. It's almost cyclical. Where in one hand it has meaning and present now, but another hand it's also meaning in the future as well. Yes. So that's how we interpret that. It very so. well could be. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not against against that saying. Yeah, that has a concept that applies mm-hmm. across generations and then it might then become even more very specific. And you can take that practically. I mean, if you want we were just talking about politics, right? Yeah. People get up in the world by giving them giving people what they want to hear. Mm. And that in a sense is the application of that passage because you can really make your way up in the world if you give what the world wants or sure. if you speak the same language or if you talk the certain way, you know, that type of thing. Uh, but as Christians, we don't talk like that. Yeah. We don't act like that. We are different. And so as a result, we will be persecuted. There will come a point when financially we're not going to be able to buy and sell anything. I mean, sure. it's, I mean you, the Ukraine thing— one of the scary aspects of that was they began shutting off credit cards that are going on in, in uh, you know, sure. going on in Russia, which is, well, amazing that they could do that, but it's shocking that, well, they have a lot of power in which they can, you know, turn it on people they just don't like, you know? Yeah. But I don't want to be conspiracy theorist, it's, but it's true. So we're yeah. going to do this. <laughs> so I want to switch to another question. Sure. Uh, and then we can wrap th- we can wrap this up because I know we've been here for mm. quite quite a bit. Love it. So long format. Christ in cinema. Yeah. Christ in cinema. Yes or no? Can we have a Christ image? Can we make a movie about Christ? Uh, is are people going to hell if they put a Christ in their videos? <laughs> See, so you're talking about icons and stuff like that. Yeah. That's another one to where. Um, See, I th- I. Th- find myself being a little bit more liberal Mm. in the arts. And I really pray about this too, because as a musician and as someone who has some creative stuff in him, I can sit down and play Jerry Lee Lewis, not sing the songs and love a boogie woogie or blues riff and give and bring glory to God. So it's like this weird thing where when we start talking about arts or something artistic, now I think the older I get, the more I start leaning towards just stop it with the Jesus films and the chosen and the, like all that does, all that does is pigeonhole Christ into the image you think he is. 
you know what I mean? Now, yeah. are you going to hell for it? I would argue, I don't think so. Are, but we see it more and more as we get, as intersectionality like starts to move forward and gets more immersive in our culture. Th- now you're seeing why maybe God had that wisdom of saying, yeah, we don't need to make an image of him because he's the unimaginable. Like we don't have to have a white guy with a brown beard and brown hair when he clearly did not come from the part of the well, world we where know that he'd Jesus be white. Was Caucasian, <laughs> right? He was he was red beard Irish Jesus that the Catholics uh, like to uh, put up on their velvet paintings in their rooms. Um, it, but it's just preposterous to me because you go, yeah, that's not even a historically accurate image of him. But the older I get, the more I start leaning towards. Uh, we can do we can do Christian stuff just fine without having to have an image of Christ. Like I watch a, an animated kids version of Pilgrim's Progress, and I will put it up against The Chosen any day for a new believer. Here, watch this garbage, The Chosen. I say garbage. I'm being harsh, but I don't find it very I beneficial. Seen it, at all. So you can say whatever a, you want. <laughs> not a big not a big fan of it. Right. Very a lot of stuff into the subliminal created by Mormons, produced by Mormons. Okay, whatever. But watch that, or watch the con- the biblical concepts in Pilgrim's Progress, or heck, read Pilgrim's Progress after you read the Bible. Like I would put that art up against what we do now with all the actors and in, in the cinema and all that. So my long my long answer is. Uh, I don't. I think we can have things that are biblically based, biblical principle in cinema. I would probably tend to err on not trying to represent Christ in any way or God in any way uh, mm. in person in cinema. I just think it becomes confusing. It's just, you're, now it's just the artist's rendering of who they think Christ was. You know, interesting. Like this question. I actually first started thinking about this question. Yeah, what do you think? You're an you're an audio video guy. Well, yeah, because like, obviously I'm the expert when it comes to this. Yes. But, um, so everyone listen. Yeah, you heard so, it here first. But I this question is, started to arise when I made the first reformed motivational video. It was called Ooh. Behold His Glory, in which there were certain um clips that I used from the Passion of the Christ mm. in it. And I began reading comments saying like you shouldn't put Christ in I liked I liked the stuff. I wish you didn't put Christ in, in there. And a friend texted me saying like, "Hey, uh, I love I love what you did, but you just got let got to let you know that there's some people in the reform camp that will find that offensive." Yeah. And so that got me thinking a little bit as to like uh like whether I should keep doing it or not. And I'll be honest, out of all the theological you know, positions I am, this is probably by far where I'm in like in the split in the middle. Okay. Where like it's 50 50. Like I can completely sympathetic with both sides. Yeah. Um, I completely understand with those that say you can't put Christ, can't put Christ in film because it doesn't matter how good your intentions is. It's still sinful. But on the other hand, there are people with good intentions being like, well, we're not, obviously that's not the God of, in our own making, we're just trying to do the best we can with what the scriptures that we got. That's why I'm probably, I even soften that a little and say, it's not necessarily sinful, but it's not helpful. Yeah. That, that's my point. But I think with, with me in the motivational videos, cause I've actually made two other motivational videos and there's a fifth one, by the way, coming out. Nice. Uh, that might have Christ in it again, but the reason <laughs> but, might but, might not. You well, don't it's know. In, still you gotta watch it to see. It's still in the editing process. Where does but, Josh land? But watch the, the next video. But the thing we're gonna promo it right here. Come on. But the thing is, is um, like what I'm doing is I'm not creating 
a movie, I'm showing the Christ of the scriptures because what's driving the truth in those videos are the preachers preaching the word of God. Yeah. You know, so that's what's driving the truth. Now, there's already clips of Jesus in there, and so I'm yeah. already out, so might as well use it. Um, so I'm not making Christ of my own image. I'm making Christ of what these preachers are preaching and teaching, um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, but artistically, they've made that image in their own image, I guess you could say. Yes. My point is, is you read through the Bible, and the only time they mention any appearance of Christ yeah. is they go, yeah, he just he, he he wasn't extra beautiful and wasn't extra ugly. He was an everyman. That way, so no one could say, oh, it's right. because of his countenance is why he does these things. It's like they make it very uh, if you were to clear. Ask, oh, I'm sorry. Like, no, you're fine. Clear that, that looks had nothing to do with it, whether good or bad. And I'm just saying... If God wanted us to represent him, I think, uh, in image, he would have said, oh, by the way, I'm five foot four, I'm dark complected, I have olive mm-hmm. eyes, I, you know, which he probably more historically looked at. But the, the image of Christ isn't even the, isn't the main part of the Bible. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Like, we shouldn't be looking at an image. It's who, who Christ is as king and ruler and, and one that's reigning, and obviously the redemptive work he did on the cross. Um, but I'm not going to sit here. If you want to put out a video that has pictures of, you know, Passion of the Christ, and I'm not going to. Yeah, and like... I'm not that far if yet. If you were to give me $50 million and say, <laughs> go make a Christ movie, I would say no, because like, I can't. It That would be against my conscience, because I don't... Because I'm Oh, a, I would. I would I, take it and I, just read the Bible to him on video and then give it back to him. There's your well, Christ there's movie. actually some movies... <laughs> Thanks do, for the 50 mil! There's some movies that actually do that. In fact, I think yeah. there's a good appropriate... where There's actually the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it shows you know Jesus doing stuff, but it's overlaid with... With yeah, scripture, sure, and I think that's in a sense what I'm kind of doing with these motivational videos is sure. that uh, they're just preaching, they're just proclaiming the excellencies of God, excellencies of Christ. So that's kind of where I stand. But again, I'm like so dead in the middle. Like yeah. I can go either way, and I'm completely sympathetic with both sides. Um, so please don't say I'm a heretic, <laughs> right? But. I'm just I I've never really found a good Jesus movie oh, yeah. that portrays Jesus either. Well, like mm, passion maybe, but that's like so Catholic. You're just like ugh. Like you can read between the lines, especially with uh, uh, who made it. What's his Mel name? Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Thank you. And it's like we so want to focus on the suffering because that's a whole thing too. Where I just want to make Jesus broken and bloody and beaten. Actually, I just the episode came out this week. We're talking about is Christ vulnerable with Corey Asbury. Chris oh Huff gosh. was on and it's like, Oh, just see Christ is broken, naked, bloody body. And it's like, that's what, no, I see Christ as ruling and reigning and victorious and did that willingly. And he was not vulnerable. He, he did it because it was predestined before the foundations of the world through God, the father and the triune God. And so that, you know, ultimately for me, the icon thing is like, I, I don't really seek it out. I've never really seen a good Christ movie that I'm even satisfied with that's extremely biblical. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just my personal. Yeah. Well, thank thing. you for not calling me a heretic, but so, <laughs> heretic. but so I guess we'll, I guess, well, thank you so much for um, like just talking of all these oh, 100%. Complex, complex issues, uh, yeah. politics, uh, Christ in cinema, uh, your own personal testimony and like what you do on this podcast. Mm. Just, can you please close us out with what is the gospel? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's great. Great question. So 
First of all, people always want to focus on just Christ when we say the gospel. I really want to emphasize the gospel is the entire narrative of the of the both the Old and New Covenants, the Old and New Testament. We see the gospel, the good news, the redemptive story from the garden when he says, uh, I'm, there's going to be a head crusher to the end of the book when we're ruling and reigning with Christ. So it is the good news. That's literally what gospel means. When you read through the Bible, you will see that you are a sinner, that you are not good enough, that you can't do it, that your righteousness is like dirty rags. I'm using uh, cleaned up language there. It's much more harsh in the original language, what he's saying there, uh, that you can't do it. Uh, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough. You don't have enough intelligence. Uh, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough talent. And you go, well, that seems pretty depressing. How is that good news? Because there's one that is, and that is Christ. That's Christ crucified, rose from the dead, and now has graciously uh, brought us into his uh, well sonship, adoption, as the Bible says. And that's the good news. I look at the Bible and I say, yes, I'm not good enough. I can't do it, but Christ did do it. And his imputed righteousness is what I stand firm on. So gospel, good news. That is the good news. Christ is the good news. Who we both agree is ruling and reigning, whether you're post mill or Abel. <laughs> well, uh, how was that? <laughs> well, thank you so much for the gospel presentation. Or pre mill. The gospel presentation. <laughs> well, I'm more than willing to change my theology when we're in midair. So, <laughs> right. So, yeah. But thank you so much for thank this you, man. interview. Thank you so much for. Oh my gosh, we spent, I don't know, an hour and a half. I don't know. I lost track of time, but it was so awesome to get to know you, get to yeah. know this podcast, to actually be with you in person. Yeah, that and, was really cool. And uh, yeah. Can I say before we go to uh, anyone listening, obviously they, they know you if they're listening to this, but we've said it many times in our podcast, like go check out your YouTube Check out Josh's YouTube uh, channel, especially the reform funny moments. Uh, every time you post on Instagram, you're like, I just worked down so-and-so. It's coming soon. I'm like, 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 I'm addicted to those things. Um, in your interviews that you've done, like with Durbin and those other guys that I've seen, I mean, you're just a natural at it. So I, I love that uh, we got to kind of meet each other and get to become friends because Dude, I watch I, I watch all that content. I'm not. It's not just uh, something I say because you were on a podcast. Or you brought me on a podcast. Like mm-hmm. we need brothers in the Lord like you out there preaching the word, bringing the heat, like doing the real things, and then also on the other side of that, doing something that's like kind of fun and light within that community. I think that's also why it's so hugely popular too, because it's like, we talked about this before on the podcast, but it's just like you just you just have a way of like editing those videos and just going and bringing something light to it on us on stuff that's generally really heavy. So I appreciate you brother. And I appreciate you coming all this way. I know it wasn't just for me, but man, you were all the way up in Northern Michigan and Western or Eastern Michigan, right? Yeah, I, was, then, I was all over the place, but I, I really appreciate your comments. And I want to say, uh, I really always find your, your content encouraging with the various topics you deal with and interviewing different people, uh, yeah. whether it's from Rachel Janovovic, Jankovic, Jankovic, Rich Jankovic, or Tom Askell. Um, It's just encouraging to you know you are able to reach out, ask some deep questions, and to know that you actually are think about theology. You actually think deeply about what does God's word have to say because the Bible is sufficient for every single issue. And I think you and Jason do a phenomenal job. with your not only with your interviews but also like tackling with um your five minute you know shorts that you do oh sure such. yeah thanks man but anyways great to meet you. your blessing and i'll tell you what here i got something for you look at 
What? You got your own Dead Men Walking sticker and hat. Wear it with pride. Oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> That's going on my computer right there, now. There, oh, he's doing it right now. Wow. Uh, it feels so special. Oh. But um, uh, I appreciate you uh, coming out here and doing this, man. It's Look awesome. Oh, my gosh. Be sure to check us out at dmwpodcast.com where you can purchase the best and snarkiest merch on the internet, support the show, and leave us a review or message. Dead Men Walking can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Dead Men Walking Podcast and on Twitter X at Real DMW Podcast. The Dead Men Walking Podcast is part of the Fight Laugh Feast Network. For exclusive show content, be sure to download the Pub TV app and become a member. If you're a business that needs to reach hundreds of thousands of potential customers in your demographic, podcast advertising might be for you. Send all inquiries to Dead Men Walking Podcast at gmail.com. None your biscuits.